We can turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and it starts with, We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So Paul is uh, quoting Isaiah 49, verse 8, uh, here in verse 2 of our text today. And there, uh, which I'll turn over to that real quick, God is talking uh, uh, there. It says, Thus says the Lord, In an acceptable time I've heard you. In the day of salvation I have helped you. And then he, he goes on. He says, I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritage, that you may say to the prisoners, go forth. To them who are in darkness, show yourselves. So um, the, the, the Lord is talking there and saying that he's going to give Jesus uh, to us to save us. And uh, so Paul as he's opening up chapter 6 to us today in our study, he says, I see myself as an extension of God to mankind, simply saying, I'm also pleading with you uh, to accept Jesus. Uh, it's you know a good message. And uh, I think too many people you know wait. So that's, uh, uh, it, it's a good thing here that he's uh, saying, I'm pleading and uh, that there's this acceptable time. In uh, Genesis 6, 3, there it says uh, that in God speaking, he says, my spirit won't always strive with man. And, uh, and then as well in Isaiah 55, verse 6, it says there, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. In other words, insinuating you might want to act while you can. And, uh, you know, for all of us today, and that's what Paul is saying here. Um, you know, sin is overcoming our hearts constantly. And so as we come to a passage like this, we hear, we hear Paul and God saying there's an acceptable time to call on him and that's now that's today, but you've got this other thing in our lives called sin and it's constantly working to overpower, uh, you know, really our choices. Um, in fact, uh, Hebrews 3.13 is another pretty cool passage that goes along with this, and we're going to tie this into the rest of the chapter because that's what Paul's going to do. So uh, Hebrews 3.13, it says there, exhort one another daily while it's called today. So, uh, you know, w- when is today? Well, that's today. That's any day. Uh, it's, it's here and now is the idea. And it says, this is the reason why we do this, why, why we plead with people to make a change in your life today and choose the Lord. He says, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So as I said a moment ago, you've got sin and it is coming after you. If you don't give your heart to the Lord today, then sin is at your doorstep. It's coming for you. For, it says, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it said, Today, if you will hear his voice, 
Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now, there's the kicker. He says, here's the reason why you don't want to uh, uh, not choose the Lord today in your hearts. Because then if you don't, there's a hardness that comes in your heart, and we're going to start looking like the Israelites did in the wilderness. If you study way back in Numbers, he's going to quote Numbers at the end of this chapter and say, there is a reason why you want to pick the Lord today in your life. And, you know, I don't think this is just for salvation. Um, It's for everything. I, I choose every day. Am I going to do this the Lord's way or am I going to pick the world? And that sort of sets in motion the rest of my day. And uh, it sets really for all of us. Now, he ends that, says back in our scripture, uh, he says uh, at the end of verse 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Uh, salvation from sin is what he's actually going to be talking about in this chapter. But salvation from your sin you know, permanently by choosing Jesus is also a correct application. Um, now verse 3 says, We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. So it says, now let's back up. I want you to know that what I'm telling you is the truth. So he's going to say, look at what all I've gone through, and I'm still telling you the same thing. And that means something to me. You know, um, Jesus, his message was great when he was alive and well all the way to the cross. And even after coming back from the dead, his message never changed. Then we look at the apostles, the next generation of the church, and we say, well, what was your message? Well, this is it. And they, most of them went to their death as martyrs, but they never changed their message. That means something to me. And so Paul's going to say, look, this is the mark of a Christian. You're going to go through a lot of stuff, a lot of trials, hardships. And if the message never changes, then you can almost rest assured that it's true. They really believe this stuff. So we'll look at the list. He says, We don't give an offense in anything. Our ministry may not be blamed. In all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. Uh, In other words, I'm living my way in such uh, my life in such a way that you know we speak the truth. And then he gives this list: in much patience, tribulations, in needs and distresses. Uh, You know, patience. That word means steadfastness or endurance. Uh, something you really need. Um, Here in the Greek, it actually alludes to this idea. It's specifically a patience to wait on God. And I tell you, as a Christian, man, that's really cool. You can have patience with your kids, patience with a job, patience with all sorts of things. But do you and I have patience to wait on God? Um, That's a special patience. And uh, because remember, we have faith in a God that we can't hear or we can't see. Um, and so to have patience to wait on God, he says, that's the mark that what I'm saying is true because I live my life this way. And then he says, tribulation needs and distresses. Uh, Paul had needs and he had problems all along the way and needs. That's just physical needs. So you may say, I'm serving God, but I've got these real needs that are coming up in life. And Paul would say, well, that's, that's part of it. And my message never changed. And then it gets worse. Um, Verse 5, you know, being a Christian isn't starting to sound so good. He says, in stripes, that's literally being beat or whipped, in imprisonments, tumults, in labors, sleeplessness, in fastings. Uh, So he's not even able to to sleep. He's he's distressed. Uh, Tumults, that's an older word that just means uncertainty of residence. In other words, 
He's living on the street corner. He doesn't even know if he's got a house from one day to the next. Um, you know, and uh, it doesn't sound like a cushy ministry job to me, uh, which, you know, he just sounds a lot like uh, like you and me. He's just going through life, a lot of hardship. He's a sinner saved by grace. He had to work to support his missionary habit as he went on his missionary journeys. But he loved telling other people about Jesus. And his life was a great example to others coming to Christ as you study through uh Uh, Paul. And then look, verse 6, he says, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, and by sincere love. So purity, that word means upright living. So he was just, he lived and he did good. He he was upright in all his ways. Um, That's the mark. And uh, even though he, look, you know, that's in the same list as in stripes and imprisonments. So he lived his life right but then he was still getting whipped and thrown in jail. And sometimes that happens to us as Christians. You know, we don't get honored for doing good in this world a lot of times. And uh, you can do everything right in life, and you end up sort of looking disheveled and, uh, you know, like, like there is no God, and yet by faith you know there is God, and your message doesn't change. And it lets people know around us that we actually believe this stuff. Um, he says by long suffering, I don't like those two words ever thrown together, long and suffering, but it's here. And he says by kindness. Now again, same list. So in tumults, he doesn't even know if he has a house in stripes, imprisonments and labors, sleeplessness, but he still has kindness. You see, there's something down deep inside. And I think that's tied to the Holy Spirit. Only with the Holy Spirit can you be kind when you're going through this sort of trials. It's still there. You don't even know it of of yourself. I've been in positions myself where you're going through such deep trials that you know yourself. And I know know me and I say there's there's no kindness left in Justin. No kindness at all. I'm, I'm getting mad. I'm getting frustrated. And yet, and yet somehow through the Holy Spirit in the middle of the trial, kindness can still be there. That's only through the Lord. And then it says by sincere love. Now, uh, and, and I do want to talk about that because real love is tough, you know, and I want to give you some demonstrations of real love. Love is not coming to church and just hugging everybody and saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. Um, look, here's the, here's real love. Jesus loved us by going to the cross, okay? Um, And he died a horrendous death uh, nailed to the cross, and yet that was a picture of love. Uh, He loved us when he was alive and here by making a whip and going into the temple and driving out those that would turn the temple into a money laundering place. Uh, he, He loved so love causes us to stand up for what's right. First Corinthians 13 says love is truth. He stood up for the truth, even if it cost him. But love causes someone to self-sacrifice in order to protect others. And uh, love is not necessarily uh, always you know, saying I love you or giving somebody a hug. It, it can take different forms. Christian love is uh it's a sincere love and it's one that's not uh, self-serving it's always other centered 
So he has that even through all of the trials he's going through. And then verse 7, By the word of truth, by the power of God, and by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true. So he says, hey, uh, you know, what he's doing there is by evil report or good report kind of a thing. He's saying uh, if you're in the ministry uh, of any kind, if you're a Christian, get used to people talking about you and uh, and get folks, get get used to the idea of folks uh, uh, you know, having a, a deceiving words about you that are going to circulate around you, your family. Uh, and he says, look, it's all happening, and yet I still continue on. Uh, doesn't matter what people say about me. Verse 9, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live, as chastened and yet not killed. Uh, you know, what happens is, is when you say you're a Christian, a lot of your friends count you as dead. As soon as you say, Meh, I'm not going to go and, and party hard with you anymore. Uh, I'm not going to go and live the lifestyle. I'm not going to laugh at the same jokes that I used to laugh at. I'm going to live a little bit differently. You're counted as dead. And, uh, you know, and yet you're alive to Christ. And so, look, just because somebody else doesn't like you, uh, just because somebody else, uh, you know, decides that you're not for them, it doesn't mean you're not for Christ and you're not doing what's right. And Paul says, look, I'm losing my friends. I've lost everything around me. doesn't matter. You know what? You know what I say is true because I'm still here saying it. Otherwise, I'd have quit. You know, the, the price is too high. You'd have quit. He says, as sorrowful in verse 10, yet always rejoicing. In other words, sorrowful because of what's look around you horizontally. When you look around you as a Christian at what all is literally just going to hell in a handbasket, you say it's not worth it. And yet he's rejoicing because he found Jesus in his heart. And he says, you know what? It's all worth it. He's poor, yet in his heart he felt rich. And he didn't have anything, and yet he felt like he possessed everything. This is the mark of a Christian. And the mark of somebody who has a real word from the Lord He's got a real ministry. It's not about how many diamonds he's got on his rings or anything like that. Uh, very interesting. So now he comes kind of to the point in verse 11. He says, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. So he says, look, I went through all this stuff, and I'm still here writing you and telling you the same message. You can know it's true. We're speaking open to you. Our heart's open to you. So what's the problem, he's saying to them here? He says, well, the problem is, in verse 12, you're restricted by your own affection. So it's not about us. Don't blame the messenger for why you're having a hard time with your walk with the Lord. It's about your affections. And what is the, you know affections? Um, in the Greek, that word means a deep inner affection or desires. So really the question would be, well, what are your other deep inner affections that keep you from giving your all to Christ? What's holding you back from just saying, you know what? I want to know Jesus. What, what is it? Well, he's fixing to go into that at the tail end of this chapter because he's going to say, um, now in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. In other words, uh, 
quit. Uh, I mean, frankly, he's just saying, quit feeding me a line of bull. He's saying, what I want you to do is be open and honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. What's holding you back? And he says, Here, here's, here's the, the crux of the chapter. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, we all know that verse. Um, unequally yoked, um, you know, in the past, people will say, well, this is about you being married, and you're, you're being married to someone that is not the same as yourself. In other words, you're a believer, they're an unbeliever. Um, you know, back in the 1800s, you could actually look at commentaries, and they would say this verse is talking about uh, racial differences. Don't be, you know, if you're white, don't be married to someone that's black. And all of that, thankfully, has gone away. That is absolutely not what this is saying. Um, what it's saying is don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So that means if you're a believer, don't be with an unbeliever. Um, now, what we think that means um, is s- simply that if you're in the church, don't date someone who's out in the world. Um it does mean that, but there's a deeper meaning here. And when you tie the scripture he's fixing to quote here at the end, we're going to tie that in a little closer to home. Unequally yoked in the Greek, uh, it was a phrase that they would use, meaning to put a donkey and a burro in the same span. So a span, uh, the Jews would have instantly understood this in this day. A span is where you've got, you're pulling a cart and you, you, know, you have a, a yoke, that you put you put a yoke on a, a double yoke, you would tie you know two oxen together or two horses together or whatnot. And any time you know, for those of you who've never been around wagons, you, you want both animals to be the same so that when they're working together, they pull together. And um, you don't want to put an ox and a donkey together because what's going to happen is one's going to be throwing a fit while the other one's trying to do all the work pulling in opposite directions, and you're not going to get anywhere. And that's the idea here. You don't want to marry an unbeliever because the idea is you're going to be forever linked to a donkey jerking you around. Uh, I mean, just get that picture in your mind, and you get what Paul's trying to say. Interesting here, when Jesus was growing up, he learned to be a carpenter, you know, and uh, he was called a master carpenter in the Gospels. Well, that meant that he was one in their day who crafted yokes that fit so well, there would be no uh, chafing uh, on the necks because they a master carpenter could build a yoke that was very, very perfect so that two could work as one. And it's interesting because he's he's seen it that as, as that. And then we see in the scriptures where someone's getting married, it says what God has joined together, let no man put a, you know, asunder. Uh, and the idea is when you get married, you're supposed to be yoked together and the two shall become one flesh. So the idea there is real clear to me. Make sure whoever you marry um, and jump in bed with is pulling the same way because you're going to be hooked together for life. I mean, that's the hope. Um, So this isn't talking about isolation. And, And look, this isn't just about don't be unequally yoked. He's talking to the Corinthians, yes, about marriage. Very true application. But he's also talking about our friendships and relationships, our business relationships, that we don't want to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, this isn't just those out in the world who are unbelievers. We've got two kind of unbelievers. One, the kind that have never heard about Christ. The other kind that First John talks about, they are in our midst. 
and yet they do not believe the way that you believe. They may believe that Jesus is there. Remember, Jesus said, well, even the demons believe, but they tremble. I'm not looking for somebody who believes that God is. I'm looking for people that believe in Jesus the way I do, that they believe Jesus is the way to heaven, and that when they hear about the nature of Jesus, they say, oh, yes, and I want that nature in me. A, a Christian is a little Christ. That's what the word means. It's somebody who aims their life to be like Christ. So the churches are full of people who believe in God. I want people who have placed their faith in Jesus, you see. And that's what Paul's saying here. All of these Corinthians he's writing to, they're in the church. But then he, he goes on and he asks this, uh, uh, these questions. He says, what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? And what part has a, a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? So he asked, you know, five different questions there. And all of that is, the, you know, the idea is, um, and, the, and the question to all the answer, uh, the, the answer to these questions is simply, there's no part. It won't work. It absolutely won't work uh, for you to try to have a relationship with those guys. Um, again, Paul's saying be separate from unbelievers, but I do believe sometimes we have to separate from believers that don't believe. Uh, Revelation 2, two, you know, when Jesus comes back, uh, this is what he says to the church there in Ephesus. Uh, Revelation 2, verse 2, I know your works and your labor, your patience. So this is, this is the accolade. This is him saying, this is the thing you got right, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you've tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and you've found them liars. So he's saying, hey, you know, this is the one good thing you did in Ephesus. You actually listened to those who came in and said, I'm an apostle. I'm a, in other words, I'm, I'm a leader in the church. I'm a pastor. I'm a whatever. And you know what? That's not really what you are. You're, you're lying about that. In other words, you said you were a believer, but you're not a believer the way we are. You believe that God exists, but you're not following Jesus. Big difference. So uh, he says there, good, that you found them out and you separated from them. First John talks about the same people. You're, you're, you're of us, but you're not with us. So look, we need to always be watching, even within Christian circles, that's where it really gets dicey for us all, is uh, who's with us and who's not. He says in verse 16, for you are the temple of the living God. If, if you have Jesus in your heart, you're the temple of the living God. As God has said, and then this is where the quotes come. Uh, again, we, we've got to tie this all together. Uh, as God said, this is the, the Old Testament, Numbers 33 is what he's quoting. I will dwell in them and walk among them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So he's talking about the Israelites. Paul's saying, this is what God said, and it applies to the church as well. This is what God actually wants. He wants to dwell in us. He wants to walk among us. He wants to be our God, and he wants to call us his people. Therefore, verse 17, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Now, why would he have to say to us in the church today, come out and be separate from the unbelievers, uh, you know, that are living in the world. He doesn't. They're out in the world and we're in the church. So what is he actually saying here? 
Uh, Don't touch what's unclean. I will receive you. I'll be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. He ends the chapter right there. So he ends up uh, quoting from Numbers 33. I really think we've got to turn back to Numbers and find out what in the world is he talking about. Well, the story he's talking about here is found in Numbers 16. And uh, there was a a, uh, sin in the camp. And... uh, you know, it's funny there because there's a there's a it's a story of a rebellion. Again, these are all Israelites. Okay, uh, it's not about the world versus the believers. They all believe in God, but there's some that are there that that rise up, and it's the story of uh, Korah, uh, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and uh, on. Uh, that's his name, Owen On, the son of uh, Peleth, sons of Reuben. It says there they took men, in verse 1, and they rose up before Moses and some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon yourselves. Same thing we're reading about here with Paul, where the Corinthians are saying, meh, you're small of stature. You don't speak the word. That's why we just read. And Paul says, no, look at what all I went through. You know what I'm saying is true. And I was sent by God to say, Jesus is the Lord. Believe in Jesus. My gospel is true, guys. Well, the same thing with Moses. God sent Moses to tell the people, I want to deliver you from Egypt and lead you to the promised land. Well, now they're gathered against Moses saying, you take too much upon yourselves. All the congregation is holy. Well, that's dangerous because now they're saying we are holy and separated unto God. That's what holy means, separated unto God. Every one of them. So it says, ah, you don't know what you're talking about. We're not sinners. We're all holy. Every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Oh, so now they're, they're telling Moses that God is on them, that they're basically all in the ministry with him. Why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? Oh, so now they just now went, they went all religious on him, you see. And so when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. He spoke to Korah and all his company saying, tomorrow morning the Lord will show us who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near and will cause him to come near to him. Uh, that one who he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. So do this, take censers. Korah and all your company put fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. It shall be that the man who the Lord chooses is the Holy One. You take too much on yourselves, you sons of Levi. So now we have this argument. Leave, uh, you know, All the people are saying, we're holy. We're, we're basically the church. We're cool. And Moses, you're taking too much authority on yourself. God didn't send you. We're, we can rise up and be uh, what you are. We have the law in us. Well, he carries on. Um, Verse 8, Moses, he says to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel, and then look at the wordage, has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord to stand before the congregation to serve them, and that he has brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi with you, and are you seeking the priesthood also? So he says, yeah, well, here's the thing, guys. God's fixing to call uh, you to be separate. Same thing we're seeing back in our Second Corinthians passage. We need to be separate to the Lord. Well, they're separating themselves 
from the Lord. Interesting. And we're fixing to see why. So verse 12 there, Moses sent and he called uh, uh, Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Elab, but they said, we're not even going to come to you. So now they're going to stonewall him. Is it a small thing that you brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness and that you should keep acting like a prince over us? So they don't like the way that things are going. So they, they don't like the authority that God's placed before them. They don't like the message that Moses has brought to them. And so they're rebelling against what God has placed. He says, uh, moreover, you've not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? Uh, we will not come up. So it says, no, we're not even going to meet with you. We're not going to talk about this. So Moses was very angry. He said to the Lord, don't respect their offering. I haven't taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. So he goes to the Lord and prays. He says, I haven't done a thing to these people. You sent me. I'm just trying to do what, what you told me to do, Lord. Moses, he told uh, Korah, tomorrow, you and all your company be present before the Lord, you and they, as well as Aaron. Uh, let each take a censer, put incense in it, and each of you bring the censer before the Lord, uh, both you and Aaron. Uh, so each man, he took his censer, he put, put uh, fire in it, he laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle meeting. This is an interesting church uh, engagement, isn't it? A huge argument. And, and basically what Moses is saying is like, look, why don't you just come and show up at the door of the tabernacle, their, their version of church, and the Lord will be here, and we're fixing to get to the bottom of this. Uh, verse 19, he did that. Korah, he went along with that. He gathered at the congregation, uh, all the congregation, at the door of the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. That's pretty cool. So the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, and then look at the wordage here. And then remember what what uh, uh, Paul quoted in uh, in Second Corinthians. He says in verse 21 here, Separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. So a little bit more, you know, back in verse 17 of Second Corinthians, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. That's what he's quoting. So we say, oh, we'll be, we'd be separate to the Lord. No, here's the thing. Remove yourself from those that are unbelievers in the church that don't believe as you believe. Remove yourself from relationships where you're dating somebody that may say, oh, yeah, I love the Lord, baby. You know, like, no, no. You know, you, we need more than just the words. We need you to be a, a Jesus lover, a Jesus follower. When I hear somebody just say, I, I believe in God, you know, that's so abstract. I want to hear somebody say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I love Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. When you're just, uh, you know, lofty in your, in your words, I say, hmm, a little something false going on here. I want somebody that it's soaked down into their heart. I love Jesus. And listen, everybody can say the word God. You know, it's abstract. Look for a believer that says, I love Jesus, and I want to act and be like Jesus, and I want Jesus to come through my heart and through my words. Look for that. It's a sign of a false teacher when all they can do is talk about uh, cool thoughts and ideas, psychologies, but they can't talk about Jesus like they know him. It's a, it's a sign. Well, here... Look, he's saying be separate. 
It's for two reasons. One, separate yourself to the Lord, but from the unbelievers, because fire is going to, he's fixing to fire them all. Okay, let's, let's look at this. Um, back in Numbers. So God says, separate yourselves from this congregation, and I'm going to consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, Oh God, the God of the spirits and all flesh, shall one man sin and you be angry with all the congregation? So the Lord spoke to Moses, and he said, We'll speak to the congregation and say, Get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. So, and those were, you know, the, the main descendants, uh, uh, descendants, I'm sorry, that are, are wanting to uh, blame Moses, pull away, not respect authority. They're in the camp. They are Israelites, but they're not believing as they should. So Moses rose, and he went to Dathan and uh, Abiram. The elders of Israel followed him. So he went, not on his own this time. Now it's, it's, it's combative. He spoke to the congregation. He said, depart from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing of theirs lest you be consumed. Look, in all their sins. Now that applies so much today. You come out and be a part. Why is God saying come out and be a part? Well, one, you can't really follow the Lord if you've got all this baggage in the world. Whatever it is you're following. If you've got one foot in the world and one foot in your Bible, it's not going to work. It just won't work. And look, I've known a lot of young people. I was one too at one time. <laughs> and you, you can try to have one foot in the world and dabble with the world's stuff and one foot in the Bible and the church and with the Lord, and it will not work. It, it will tear you down. And that's exactly what's going to happen lest you be consumed in their sins. So you're separated to the Lord. That's called trying to be holy. Set yourself to the Lord. That's for you. But you also don't want to get burned up in their sins. So two reasons why you do this. Um, now, back to the story. So they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. If God said that, I think I would move back too. Um, so they separated, uh, just what we're talking about. And they stood at the door of their tents. Uh, and that's, so Dathan, Abiram, and Korah, they're standing there at their tents with their wives, their sons, and their little children. Another little thing. You know, those who are, are in this sin of rising up against God's authority, it didn't just affect them. It affected their wives, their kids, and their little ones in their tents. The tents did, did no wrong. <laughs> but Moses said, verse 28, By this you shall know the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. Exact same idea that Paul is uh, giving us back in Second Corinthians. Look, I didn't come and tell you all this of my own will. I've gone through a lot of trials to be here and to be standing here and to tell you guys the truth. And the same thing Moses said. The Old Testament and the New Testament really are so tied together, it's not funny. He says in verse 29, If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, the Lord has not sent me. In other words, if this is a boring meeting and these guys just go on about their lives and die natural deaths, fine, the Lord hadn't sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing, if the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive to the pit, well, then you'll understand that these men have been rejected by the Lord. I guess they would. Now, it came to pass when he finished speaking all these things, the ground split apart under them and the earth opened its mouth, swallowed them up, their households, all the men of Korah and all their goods. So they and all that went with them went alive into the pit. In other words, it opened so fast they fell alive down into the earth, and then the earth closed over them. Now, that's some kind of a church meeting. They perished from among the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. 
And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed 250 men who were offering incense. So that's all the people that were with him. So the earth opened up and swallowed the ringleaders. And then the rest of them, God just said, you're fired. And uh, he just, you know, they're gone. So the Lord spoke to Moses then. He said, well, tell Eliezer, the son of uh, Aaron, the priest, to pick up the censers out of the blaze, for they're holy. He says, hey, don't lose, the, don't, don't lose those. They're on the ground laying around a bunch of burned uh, bodies at this point. And uh, so they're holy. And then go scatter the fire some distance away. The fire of everything that's still burning, okay? The censers of these men who sinned against their own souls. You see, these sinners, these unbelievers who were part of the camp, they weren't sinning uh, against somebody else. They were. There was a damning of their own soul that happened in this instance. And he says, get those censers and let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar. It's like, we're going to get some use out of that anyway. Presented them before the Lord, they're holy. And so they, that's what they did. And then in verse 40, it says, uh, after they made it, it was going to be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider who's not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord. In other words, you got to be part of the family. Now, how is that for the New Testament? Well, you got to be part of the family. He says here, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You got to be part of the family, a real believer in Jesus. And then I want to, I want, that's the kind of person you can be part of my family. That's the kind of person we can come to church and be part of. And if you're not, the best thing to do is to see that person for what they are. Read through Second Peter chapter two. We don't have time today to get into that, um, but you know, figure out the, the false teachers and the people that come in. They say they're of us, but they're not. Separate. Come out from among them. Be separate. Don't touch what's unclean, and God will receive you. And look, all of our lives as we leave this place, wherever you are this morning, as you hear this. You're going to leave this place and go on past what today is. Remember, we started this chapter with today is the day. Today's the day of salvation. And you, you pick God and you leave this day to go to tomorrow. And don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Better to stand on your own before the Lord than to be yoked together with the things that are going to tear you down. And in your marriages, you know, if you're already there, the, the Bible has some things to say to you. That's for another day. But if you're young and you're not married, pick, pick. You have an ability to choose to pick somebody who says, I love Jesus. That's running the same direction that you are. And your life will be blessed. That's what this chapter is here for. It's not here to restrict us. It's here because your life will look, uh, it will look so terrible. If you marry and you're stuck for life with somebody who's tearing you down, and if you're in a church that is split, uh, it will tear you down. If your so-called Christian friends are tearing you down, consider if they're actually believers or not. Consider that and come out from among them and be separate. Notice, and and this is our last point today, um, but notice here that he says, come out from among them and be separate. That means he's saying this to people who are still mixed. So if you're today hearing this saying, I feel mixed up, then in your heart right now, today's a day of salvation. You can say, you know what? 
I don't want one foot in the world anymore and one foot over here. Whatever it is that you need to come out from, this could be a person. This could be a relationship. This could be a worldly habit that's there. And you're just going, man, that that gambling, that porn, that whatever it is, that's a worldly thing that the world said this is a thing that, that you know that you need to have and it's lied to you. And God would say, come out from among them, be separate. It's it, it it's going down to the pit of hell. That's where that pathway is gonna lead. No matter the source, that's where it's leading. And he says, There's the good there's good here. Come out from among it and be separate. So Look, this isn't to holy rollers. This isn't a text to people that have it all figured out. It's to all of us who don't, who might be in the mud today saying, I I feel compromised. And you know what? I want to leave this study and say, I'm no longer going to be yoked together with unbelievers. I'm going to start this process of coming out from among them, and I'm going to be separate to the Lord. And uh, your life will be blessed. So God's desire here is to dwell with us in our hearts, to walk among us, to be our God. And uh, number 16, unfortunately, happens still in the church today. It happens in our lives today. Uh, Sometimes you can't avoid a mess like Moses. But uh, again, I want to encourage you that if you're in a mixed crowd, there's hope. You can come forth, be separate. And uh, we can be what God wants us to be. Godly men and women focused on God, free from the influences of the world, free of bad relationships, whatever form they come in. And uh, sounds like square advice from a God who loves us and wants the best for us. Read ahead. We're going to look at chapter 7 next week. And uh, Paul there is going to be teaching on what true repentance then looks like. So coming off of this, he's going to say, you know, today's a day come out from among them, and this is what repentance looks like. So it's all going to mash together for us real well. Why don't we end with a word of prayer? Lord, uh, today as we come before you, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. And uh, Lord, we do. We love Jesus, and uh, we we want you, we want your spirit to emanate through our lives the same uh, to the same fervor that Paul is saying, Lord, here that he had you. And through whatever comes in our lives and whatever trials, we want our word to be true to those around us that we love Jesus. And we just want to tell the world about Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would help and strengthen those of us who are weak, that you would encourage, Lord, those who are down today. And we ask that you would bring uh, peace, Lord, to those who are troubled. And uh, we pray that your will would always be done, Lord. And uh, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.